so thankful to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'll ask you to open them up to uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke asked if there was anything he should say about me before I got up here. I told him my name is Randy Collin, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Amy. Um, and we are thankful that we are able to share this, this time with you. Um, we'll take just a minute. We had quite a bit of, of discussion during Bible class, but uh, I'm a 2010 graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching. I did go quite late, late in life. Uh, we'll call it a second career for me. Uh, I sold uh, industrial electrical supplies for many years leading up to that. Uh, in the course of my, my preaching since I graduated, I have uh, ended up being the director of the Pineville Children's Home in Corinth, Mississippi. I did that for about seven years. And then stepping away from that, uh, continued to preach for a small congregation there uh, while selling industrial electrical supplies again. And so my world came full circle. And um, th- for this reason and that, uh, we are now seeking a place where we can take all of our energy and put it back into the work for the Lord. And so uh, we're, we're here today uh, with that kind of thought in mind and thankful that, uh, that you've allowed us to be here with you. It would surprise me if uh, in an audience of this size there weren't a few history buffs, uh, individuals who had a particular desire to, to know about uh, the things that happened in different places. Maybe that uh, you wish that you could have been there to have seen the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. If you were, I would like for you to give me the true history of that actual signing, and whether it was July 4th or over the course of several weeks. Some of you probably know that already. Uh, it could be that you, because if you focus on that time, you, maybe you wish you could have been there to have seen Paul Revere ride through and, and yell that the British were coming. Could be that you uh, you wish you could have been there. Maybe you're into aviation and you wish you could have been there to see the Wright brothers with that first uh, flight of the Kitty Hawk in, over in North Carolina. If you're like me, though, you're, you enjoy the Bible. And you read through your Bible and you think, wow, I wish I could have been there to have seen that. Wish I could have, could have been there to have seen Abraham take Isaac up upon the mountain and, and see all that transpire as he got ready to bring down that dagger and God to have stopped him and the lamb to have been provided, the ram there in the, in the thicket. Wish I could have been there with the Israelites as Moses lifted his staff and, and the Red Sea parted and to see all those millions of Israelites cross through on, on dry land. Wish I could have been there to see those, those type of events. Wish I could have been there to see David with his stone and his sling face the giant Goliath. We're still in the Old Testament. Coming to the New Testament, I think, wow, all these events in the life of Christ, I wish I could have, could have seen that. Maybe you wish you were there with the, the shepherds to see Jesus laying in the manger. Maybe you wish you, you could have seen Him lay His hands on just one leper and that leprosy to immediately be removed or one lame person be made to walk and to leap or one blind person have their sight restored to them. Maybe because of the great significance it has, you, you wish you could have been there to have actually seen Jesus hang upon the cross. All sorts of things that our Scripture reveals to us that we wish we could have been there to see. But in Luke chapter 9 and in Mark chapter 9 and in Matthew chapter 17, there is an event recorded in all three of those places 
where one of the individuals there uses this phrase, it is good that we were here. I think about all those history things, and you may say, if I could have been there, that would have been good. It would have been good for me to have been there, but we're going to focus primarily in Luke chapter 9 on the event of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And the fact that Peter says in verse 33, it is good that we are here. Some of the reasons, perhaps, it was good for them to be there. And then how we can, reflecting back, understand how good it really was. So we're going to start this morning. It's a brief reading. We'll read beginning in verse 28 of Luke chapter 9, down through the end of this this account. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid and they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one of these days anything of what they had seen. I think it was good for these men to have been there that day. I think first off it was good for them to have been there that day because the Lord was there that day. I'd say anywhere that the Lord is is a good day. I don't know if y'all are an amen congregation. If you think it was a good thing that the Lord was there, say amen. 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 It was good that the Lord was there that day, and that they were able to be there with Him. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of Jesus is God and God is omnipresent, but I mean this is a place where Jesus put His name, a place where He would say, I was there with these brethren and these events happened, and I sanction and say it was a good thing. It reminds me back of Numbers chapter 6, kind of an obscure passage, but one that I think probably had a lot more meaning for the Israelites than we oftentimes give it today. The end of chapter 6 of the book of Numbers, we find God's instructions to Moses regarding the priesthood and the things that they were to say whenever the Israelites came before them to make their sacrifices. And they were, he instructed Moses, verse 22, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, here's what they said, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what they were supposed to say. And here's why. Verse 27 says, So so shall, in doing this, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. How do you put God's name on God's people? without God approving of it. 
And so the fact that they are there with Jesus that day, present with the Lord, I mean, it was good that they were there, number one. Number two, it was good that they were there that day because there that day there were, there were fewer distractions. If you go back into the, the, uh, pre- the previous part of the chapter, you'll find where Jesus has fed thousands. Oftentimes, Jesus has to get into a boat and go out into the sea a little way because there's so many people pressing up against Him. In this particular case, though, we find that He's taking them up on a mountain. In fact, Matthew says a a high mountain, a a mountain apart. A mountain away, not necessarily that it was a long journey, but at least it was a, a way from everybody else, from the world that was pressing in on them. See, there were times even when Jesus needed to get away from the pressing things of the day-to-day work and focus on God. You'll notice that the reason it said that Jesus was there is Jesus was there to pray. And I don't know whether Peter, James, and John prayed as well or whether they took a nap, but it seems that they were always tired, probably from the day-to-day activities that they were involved in when being with the Lord. And so this particular day, Jesus takes them away from all of that and puts them in a place to where they aren't focused on those distractions, a place where they can be re-energized, a place where they can can get some rest and, and some connection with the Lord. And so it was a good thing for them to be there that day because there that day there were fewer distractions from their spiritual life by the physical world around them. Number three, it was good for them to be there that day because the faithful brethren were there that day. Now, he didn't take that that whole group of 5,000 individuals that he had just fed. He didn't even take all of the 12 apostles. He took the three that we might say were the closest to him. The three that we would probably term as faithful brethren. Now, notice I didn't say perfect brethren. In fact, if we know anything about Peter, the reason so many individuals are drawn to Peter is because he had the same uh, gift that I have. He had the gift of being able to get both of his feet in his mouth at the same time. I mean, how often did Peter jump out? In fact, just previously in this chapter is uh, directly related to Matthew chapter 16 where Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes that great confession. Everybody else is going to say it, but Peter's going to be first. You know, oftentimes we give Peter a hard time because when he's walking on the water, he takes his eyes off of Christ and looks at the storm around him and he begins to sink. You know why the other apostles didn't begin to sink in the sea? Because they were still in the boat. Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. And obviously one of the other well-known events in Peter's life was when he's at the, the trial of Jesus and he's being questioned about his relationship with Jesus and he's denying that he even knows Jesus. The other apostles didn't have that happen because they weren't there. Peter very often steps out on on faith. That faith gets shaky sometimes. But do you know who drew their sword to try to defend Christ in the garden? It was Peter. Uh, James and John, they, they have some very defining characteristics as well. In fact, while Jesus will sort of change Peter's name, you know, I saw a little joke the other day that said Simon the fisherman had just got his business card printed. He walks up and Jesus says, you shall now be known as Peter. Uh, he just got a whole stack of new business cards. But, yeah, 
But James and John, they're the only ones that Jesus gave nicknames to. You remember the nicknames of James and John? Sons of Thunder. Look in Matthew, um, sorry, Luke chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 is where they're called that. Here in this chapter, beginning in verse 57, I think I know why. Here in, uh, sorry, in verse 51, down to verse 57, they go near this vi- village of Samaria, and they, that village won't welcome Jesus in, and so they ask, shall we call down fire from heaven? Really? John, you're supposed to be the apostle of love, and you want to call down fire from heaven upon people? Uh, now, James is a part of that, I think, but uh, James has the distinction of being the first of the apostles to be martyred for the sake of Christ. I think we could count all three of these individuals as faithful brethren, so it was good for them to be there that day because they were there together with faithful brethren. Number four, I think it was good for them to be there that day because there that day Bible heroes came alive. I don't doubt for a minute that Peter, James, and John believed that Moses and Elijah had actually existed prior to to their time, that they had been actual individuals in the history of Israel. But I guarantee you they'd never seen them. In fact, I'm not exactly sure how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah there that day. I don't believe that Moses was holding two tablets of stone. I don't believe they had name tags on. Perhaps they're listening to what it is that Moses and Elijah are discussing with Jesus, and they know the stories of Moses and Elijah well enough that they can ascertain that that's who these individuals are. Who knows? Maybe they introduced themselves. It's a... kind of vague as exactly how they knew, but they recognized that these individuals had an important part, an important role in the, the history of Israel. Moses here is, the, is giving credit for the law, though God's the one who actually gave it to Moses. We don't, we don't always call it the law of God. We call it the law of Moses. In fact, the, one of the things that the early Christians will fight all day, every day, seems to be that individuals want to go back to the law of Moses and they hold Moses in higher regard than they do to Jesus Christ. And then Elijah, being the, the probably the grandest of all the prophets, uh, headmaster, it seems, of the school of the prophets in the Old Testament, was, would have been a significant figure for them. Would have, his teachings would have been the, those things that would have developed the nation into what it was. Two individuals who have a a very discerning characteristic similar to Jesus. And that is that both of these individuals put a lot of work, it seems, into their work for the Lord. And then at some point, they're going to leave. At some point, Moses is going to die And all the work he had done in leading the children of Israel to the promised land is going to be handed over to somebody else to follow up on. Then Elijah, we know, went up into into heaven in the whirlwind. And what fell down from him was his sash that Elisha will pick up and carry that, carry on the work that Elijah did. In fact, the Lord will tell Elijah when he gets out in the wilderness when he's upset about the way his work's been going. I'm sending you somebody else. I'm going to hook you up with somebody else. Y'all are going to work together for a while, and then what you're doing is going to be passed on to him. And that's what happens. And now here is Jesus facing his, the end of his life on earth, knowing that 
these three men, Peter, James, and John, will be some of the primary individuals to carry on that work. I think it was good for them to have seen that. To have seen the other individuals that had gone on and had left their work with their understudies, we might call them. And to know that Peter, James, and John would be those understudies with which Jesus would leave that work when he left. And for them to recognize that and to see the results of how it had come to this point, I think was good for them that day. Number next. I think it was good for them to be there that day because God's will was declared there that day. You know, obviously Moses and Elijah were men of God. Obviously Moses and Elijah through inspiration helped to shape the nation of Israel. But it was now a time and a point when God's will that had brought about the the teachings of Moses and the teachings of Elijah were now focused on something different. They were focused on Christ. And so when they are able to hear the words, here's what I want to happen. It's not that they're receiving it anymore, second hand or third hand, fourth hand, generations later, directly from God, they hear, this is my son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah aren't here anymore. My son's word is, listen to him. And, and for them to be able to, to grasp that, and we'll see them even struggle with that as they go through and they, they proclaim the church. Peter, when it is ready to go to the household of Cornelius, God has to appear to him and tell him to eat from this food and this, these things that he says, no, Lord, I've never... If the Lord told you to eat something, would you tell him no? Peter said, no, Lord, three times. Okay, I guess if you tell me enough times, I'll do it. And then he goes to the household of Cornelius and still seems to not be really sure what he's supposed to do except for to preach what he heard from the Son of God. And that's what he does. And then he recognizes the results of that. By doing the will of God, by, by listening to, to Christ and putting that will forth, he recognizes that repentance had come to all men through the blood of Jesus Christ. If he hadn't been there that day to hear God himself declare his will, I'm not sure exactly where he would have been in his walk with God in order to bring that to be. But there, that day, he heard God's will. And so I think it was good for him to be there. Number six. I think it was good for them to be there that day because hearts were comforted there that day. You know, in, in Luke's account and in Mark's account in Mark 9, we, we see that when that cloud covered over them and they heard the voice, voice of the Lord, they were scared, they were terrified. Matthew takes it a little bit farther in Matthew chapter 17. He says that they were so terrified they fell down on their face. And then Jesus comes to them and He puts their hands on them and He says, Arise and be not afraid. You know, very seldom do you find in Scripture where someone is told to not be afraid and an event that's not scary. Very seldom in life do we need comfort in times when things aren't scary. 
when, when things are happening in our life that, that we're not really fully sure how it's going to work out physically, whether with our health or with our loved ones or with the loss of job or just you name any trouble or trial in life is a scary time. It's during that time that Jesus puts his hands on them and his words are the words of comfort they receive to arise and be not afraid. I don't find where they hesitated. But I find that in accepting the comfort that Jesus gave them that day, they're able to go forth. Now, they kind of keep this to themselves for a while, at least until they write it down here. But it was good for them to be there that day because they knew that Jesus was the source then of their comfort. Number last, number seven. It was good for them to be there that day because there that day the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified before them. We've already discussed how God says, this is my son, hear ye him, if that's not good enough for them. But the simple way we describe or it's described to us what happens here in this event. Now, Matthew, or here in Luke it says that uh, his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Uh, in the book of Matthew it says that his face shone like the sun and his clothing was as white as as light. Now, I don't know how to describe anything whiter than light. But I like the way Mark kind of describes it. He says his clothes were so white that you couldn't bleach them any whiter. Now, perhaps you've seen some of those commercials on television where they show you a white shirt. And then they ask you, is this a white shirt? And everybody goes, yes, that's a white shirt. And then they split the screen and they bring another shirt in that's been washed in their bleach and it's whiter than the first shirt you saw. I keep waiting for a third split to bring in an even whiter shirt and another split to bring in an even whiter shirt and another split to bring in another whiter shirt. And we could continue that on from now until infinity and it wouldn't be so white as the whiteness of the garment that Jesus is wearing there that day. Now I've mentioned to you already that Peter has already confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's been praised because he, Jesus says it's not because... The world told you it's because you discern that from God. God has revealed this to you that I am the Son of the living God. It's the very thing upon which the church will be built is the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they recognize that. And so when they go up on the mountain with Jesus that day, having already made that confession because of the things they've seen and heard of Christ, they already have a very high opinion of Jesus. But I can't see how their opinion of Jesus didn't just get higher. That having seen Him transformed in such a way before them, they can't, They come down out of that mountain. I don't see how they could come down without a full assurance that Jesus is the highest form of anything in all of everything. That He is the, the embodiment of God and God in the flesh. And so it was good for them to be there that day because all of those things working together elevated Christ to be the the ideal of everything else in life. That they can put their trust and their faith for their comfort and their care and His will to bring the faithful brethren to a place where He would put His name. I think it was good for them to be there 
that day. But I think just as good is that we're here today. In fact, I think it's good that we're here today because I believe that the Lord is here today. I believe that the Lord would put His approval upon us as His people for what we are doing in our worship to Him this day. And I hope that here this day, it's good for us to be here because as His name is here and as He is here, that, the, that there are fewer distractions for you here. That you have left the, the hustle and bustle and the problems of the world and you have come together here so that you can focus your mind on Christ. So that you can find a place of refreshment in the Word of God. So that you can refocus your life on the thing that is most important in your life and that is our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope it's been good for you to be here today because there are fewer distractions here today. I hope that it's been good that you've been here today because the faithful brethren are here today. Now notice I didn't call any of you perfect because I'm not perfect. But we're here. And I don't mean to suggest that there are individuals that aren't here that don't count as faithful because I understand there are times when this world has you in such a, a vice that you can't make it to be with the other faithful brethren. And I hope that means that the faithful brethren here will reach out to those faithful brethren who aren't here and encourage them. Because you notice there were only three that came down off the mountain. They went back to nine others. That's right, 12 minus 3 is 9. And I hope that they encouraged them by the things that they had seen and been a part of that day. Hope you're able as faithful brethren to go out to those who were not here today and to, fa- and to encourage them because of what you've seen here today. And if you do that, then it was good that you were here today. Hope it was good that you were here today because when we come together, I hope our Bible heroes come alive. Once again, I sometimes refer to the events in Scripture as stories and I don't want you to ever think or believe that I believe that the things that happen here are just fairy tales, but that they are anything but the truth. And so our teachings here today, I hope, help you to recognize the, the actual life of these individuals as they live. The events that they went through, the fact that they went through struggles just as we do, and that they sometimes need comfort just like we do. I hope it's been good for you to be here today because God's will has been declared here today. You know, there are a lot of stories I could tell. I've got a whole book of dad jokes. I once had to, to write a, an appendix to a book of puns called Randy-isms to give as a gag gift. But none of those things have anything to do with the will of God. We've been here today to learn from God's will, from God's word, to see what He has to say, to focus us on what He has provided for us in salvation. Hope it's been good for you to be here today because God's will has been declared today. Hope it's been good for you to be here today because I hope your hearts have been comforted here today. That the words of God and the promise that He gives of eternal life through His Son that was transformed so marvelously that day that our recognition of that glory that He shares Our elevation of Him has put us into an understanding that He is the God of all comfort and that His words provide for us not a lot of physical or financial help in this life, but they they provide a 
unimaginable amount of comfort for the life to come. I hope that it's been good for you to be here today. Because as great as that day was and as great as this day is, there is an even greater day coming. A day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. In my mind, I imagine Him, seeing Him up in the sky, looking like He does at the top of this mount. Seeing Him in that way as He comes back and and. really absorbing the magnificent image and being that He is. You see, because we live in a world that would think anything that magnificent, that strong, that powerful, that full of love, would have never came to this earth, took on the form of a servant, and allowed himself to be killed, his blood to be shed, so that he could pay for the sins that I've committed. That's what I'll realize on that day. And I hope on that day I'll be able to say, it was good for me to be here, because now I get to return home with you. I hope you're prepared for that day. I hope that us being here today has helped to prepare you for that day. Because it's that same Peter who said it was good for them to be there that day that will stand up some, we're going to estimate, 60 days later. And he'll stand before a crowd of individuals and he'll profess to them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He is the Lord upon whose name you must call in order to be saved, that He is the Christ, the Anointed One of God to sit on the throne of David forever, and that He came to this world to save those that were lost. But by evil hands, He was crucified. Those there on that day were in a dilemma. We had the, the Son of God who came to save us and we killed Him. So what do we do? We have the Son of God who came in His glory to, to save us And we rejected Him. So now what do we do? How can we get our life right with Him? And Peter will simply say, Repent, change your mind and your heart about the glory of God and His Son Jesus Christ and be baptized to wash away your sins. If you're here this morning and because you have not seen the glory of God, you've not accepted Him as the Christ that He is, that you not confessed Him to be the Son of God, and you need to be added to His body by being baptized, being buried with Him. We pray that you'll come now and let us know while together we stand and while we sing.